Bakın tamam değil. My mama uses power. Thank you for listening. Bye. Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high-rise or low-rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body-confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. Welcome back to Mom Jeans. Today we are busting a fantastic myth about how pervasive the beauty industry is and how it can impact our relationship with our bodies and our self-worth. We do a lot of episodes on busting myths about diets or food rules, but what about all those fancy words like wellness industry and but it's a lifestyle change. <laughs> So this week, we're digging in, and we are busting them with that drum roll. We are not selling beauty products. We're selling a lifestyle change. Your voice scares me when you do that. <laughs> That's how people talk when they talk about this stuff. Oh, gosh. So while the diet industry can be easy to spot due to its primary focus being weight loss, the wellness or lifestyle industry is extremely varied. It includes lotions, face products, makeup, fitness clothes, vitamins, supplements, the list goes on, so many things. It seems more and more that people are joining MLM companies with the underlying messaging that using their products will buy you a level of health and well-being. Ah, right? The difficult part to discern is... Well, what is true? What is not? What is fake advertising? What is newfound science? And do we even need any of these things? Or is the bottom line messaging all the same? That we live in a culture obsessed with beauties, bodies, sexualities, and appearance. And whether it's a diet or a face cream they are selling, it's the same thing. Change your body and you can feel better. Meh. Not true. All right, we're going to go through some examples of how we hear this myth discussed, share our thoughts, and then we are interviewing Kai Prinz, host of the podcast, Your Body, Your Brand, to help us bust this myth. All right, fun fact. Did you know there's actually a group called the Global Wellness Institute, whose sole purpose is to study the statistics of the wellness industry in the world? Well, in 2020, they estimated the wellness industry was worth over $4 trillion. Trillion with a I'm T. I'm upset. I'm upset. Yeah. This constitutes everything from beauty and anti-aging products, weight loss and nutrition, wellness tourism, acupuncture and massages, the spa industry, and workplace wellness. Whatever that means. I, uh, yeah. Okay. While weight loss is in there, it only accounts for $700 billion worth of that total. Oh, that's it? Four <laughs> trillion. That's it. Well, where is the rest? This means there's still an abundance of ways humans are still searching for health and happiness in their Ugh. bodies. 
Even if we swear off dieting and embrace body acceptance as far as the number on the scale, we are still being constantly sold the messaging that we need to change something to be more accepted or buy a product to help us look or feel better. This comes up in our social media pop-up ads for supplements to help us with period bloat, custom bras to keep the breast best fitted, and yoga wear that feels like butter. (laughs) We also get sold anti-aging lotions, peels, masks, creams, and Botox. We are sold haircuts, dyes, plugs, extensions, sprays, wands, curlers, straighteners, and more. We are told this... We are told this influencer's outfit is cute. This spa treatment was relaxing. This meditation app will de-stress us. This vitamin will revitalize us. The list goes on. So even if we scoff at dieting and challenge the patriarchal messages that we will not shrink ourselves anymore, are people really free Or are we still so bombarded by constant subliminal messages that we don't even recognize the impact on our overall sense of self-worth? Oh my gosh. I love that list that you share, Tina, because there's so many ironies. Like, wait a second. My period bloat needs to go down, but my boobs need to go up. My hair needs to be curlier. My hair needs to be straight. My app needs to de-stress me, but my vitamins need to be revitalized. (laughs) Like, This is why it's so confusing. Up, down, flat. Bigger, small, curly, straight. So confusing. How we look, though, is synonymous with our currency in many cultures. So the closer we are to the ideal standard of beauty in that culture, the more revered we become by those around us. The more power we get, the more currency, quote unquote, we obtain. To be beautiful is to be rich in esteem. So it is natural for us to feel swayed by the messages that one purchase, one product can aid us in our quest to become more socially powerful. And again, this varies depending on the country or the culture that you are residing in. It is human nature to want to belong and to want control over our lives. So if an emotional commercial that plays on our fears makes us feel that we gain control over our social ladder climbing, then the perfect storm is brewed. It's fascinating when we do deeper work on connecting to our true self that sometimes we end up identifying how little we care about the many things we find ourselves spending time or money on. So the wellness and beauty industry, I mean, sorry, lifestyle changes. Are they really all that different from the diet industry? All right, we're going to bust this myth even further. All right, let's do it. So Kai Prince is the host of Your Body, Your Brand podcast, a 14-episode documentary on why women drop out of the workforce to pursue entrepreneurial careers in wellness. Kai is also a graduate student in the Department of Communication Arts at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where Kai studies rhetoric, politics, and culture as they relate to gender, health, and performance. Kai also performs as the award-winning drag king, Will X. Yuli. Let's get to it. All right. Well, today we are welcoming Kai Prince to help us unpack the complexity of the beauty industry. A lot of our episodes and our mission in our podcast is to take a critical lens to the diet industry and look at how the diet industry has actually hijacked anti-diet lingo of lifestyle change and wellness to sell their diet products. 
But we sort of feel like the beauty industry has done something similar by hijacking body positivity and female empowerment. So we really wanted to bring on someone who has done a ton of research on this topic to help us unpack the beauty myths. So thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Could you share with our listeners who you are and why you're passionate about busting this myth? Well, uh, I'll, I'll try to I'll try to keep it short. But uh, so I am currently a uh, student, uh, a graduate student at the University of Wisconsin Madison. Um, I'm currently in the process of getting my master's, and then after that, a PhD in uh, uh, communication arts, specifically in rhetoric, politics, and culture. But the reason that I'm here doing this work is because I used to be a health coach. Um, and before that, I had an eating disorder. Um, and during the years that I went through recovery and became a health and wellness coach and worked with uh, mostly cisgender women um, on their eating disorder recoveries, uh, I realized that the uh, the rhetoric that we use, uh, the way in which we talk about um, things like bodies, <laughs> beauty, um, worth, uh, tends to take on different sorts of coded language. Um, and those codes become extremely damaging. And so my goal in going back to school and in being here right now um, is to try to understand those things a little bit better. Um, so yeah, that's the very short version, but I'm happy to share more. <laughs> I love it. It sounds like such a cool kind of topic to go back to school for, right? I yeah. think that's amazing. I know. I always awesome. laugh when I tell people that I'm studying rhetoric, politics, and culture, and people are like, now's the time for that, right? And yeah. I'm like, yes, oh. haven't heard that one before. Gosh. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Thank you for going back to school and learning to help others um, correct, I guess. Um, and I think it's so interesting. We have uh, so many individuals that we've interviewed that it's like, oh yes, I've, I've struggled with an eating disorder in the past. I've entered in recovery, but in that interim, it was, I was a health coach. I was a beach body coach. I was <laughs> whatever coach, not really recognizing that I was not fully there yet. Right. And oh, I yeah. think that in everyone's journey, like there's certain times where I'm looking back as a dietitian and being like, ooh, I wasn't fully where I'm at today, right? And so I just want to support everyone out there. We're all learning. We're all growing. Let's just be open and admit that we don't know everything and that part of the process is really about just taking in that education and course correcting, right? So. Yeah, well, and it's difficult too. And one of the one of the reasons. So I also I did a podcast called Your Body, Your Brand, which is a documentary style podcast. Thank you. Um, but one of the reasons that I did that is specifically for what you just brought up, um, because I know that while I was going through my process of eating disorder recovery, becoming a coach, um, I was learning out loud. But in order to become a wellness influencer of any kind, you also have to be um, positioning yourself as an expert at all times. And so one of the one of the things I'm grateful for now as a student is that um, 
even though I also, like a wellness influencer, have to be positioning myself as an expert, I am at least in the process where it says student, so I can say, but I'm still learning, I'm still learning. Um, but wellness influencers don't go into it with that mindset necessarily. If you are not positioning yourself as the resource, then people can't trust you as the resource, right? And so even though you're learning and you can say like, and I'm learning and growing just like you every day, um, one of the problems with that is that if you aren't in a place where you are really ready to support other people on their journeys, you don't have to say that. And in fact, you're discouraged from saying that. And that can be really damaging. Right. I think this flows us into the next question, which is like, okay, we have individuals promoting things, right? Whether that's knowledge, a product. I see everywhere like, oh, someone sent me this free shirt. I'm going to promote this shirt, right? Like <laughs> I'm not wearing, I was like flaunting my shirt. No one sent me this shirt. I bought it. But <laughs> so really it's like these individuals are being in the spotlight, promoting these items. And that's just our culture today. And so there can be such a sway on promoting something and you don't know anything really about it. You're not an expert in it, right? So this can be misleading. So help our listeners and Rachel and I kind of learn a little bit about the history. Do you know the history of kind of these beauty trends and products? So and the origination? I'm, I'm, I'm no historian, but I am a user oh. of the internet. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I mean, obviously, like, the, if you're thinking about, like, communication trends, things like referral, things like endorsement, right, these, these, are, these are, are marketing practices from the time that marketing has happened, right? So, um, well, I can't necessarily say the specifics of, like, well, this is exactly how, you know, referrals started or affiliate marketing started. So I'll just put that out there. I'm not, I'm not that person. But what I will say is that, um, in looking at the way that influence has kind of worked, I would say probably from like around 2007 when blogging really took off, um, advertisers and marketers, like big companies have noticed that small people, regular people, people who have um, influence in their networks, um, who are not necessarily celebrities, who are not necessarily um people known outside of those small networks have outsized influence in the way in which, um, you know, when, when, uh, you know, recipe bloggers used to write their blogs and they'd say, oh, but I use the KitchenAid mixer. People in the comments would be like, which one, what model, what should I get? Why do you think this is better? And so it would spark these conversations that would then lead to potential purchases. And so savvy marketers and advertisers recognize that, if I can send free stuff to somebody with this kind of influence, um, then they might talk about it because that's kind of like paying them, right? And they did because who doesn't love free stuff? I, I don't know if, if y'all remember, there was a, a website slash service called Clout with a K. Um, and I was a member of Clout, but basically what it is, is that uh, they would send you free stuff to promote to people. Um, and so like you connect all your social networks and you could see what your clout was based on like how many interactions you got. Um, 
And I was like such an, I was an evangelist for this kind of thing because I love getting free stuff. Um, <laughs> right. And so, so that's kind of how the, the first, I, I, in my understanding, that kind of thing started happening. Right. Um, additionally through affiliate marketing, people were able to like go like, okay, I use, you know, Dreamhost or Bluehost or whatever as my server for my website. Um, and I put my email address in and they give me a code and I can then put that into my blog post for anybody who's interested in using the same server as me. So then you can also, uh, get, you know, money taken off your next month or, you know, certain rewards from the companies for promoting affiliate codes. So basically this started to become built into the language of marketing is I expect as an influencer to be able to get free stuff or to get paid for saying something about a company. And I don't have any qualms about it because that's the only way you make money doing this unless you are already at the top. Unless you're right? Joe Rogan, it's, we're not making any oh. money, right? Like, okay. <laughs> we're not even comparable. Unless you have a thousand, hundred thousand million trillion downloads a day, you're not making any money. No. Right? And you know, no. Rogan started out with affiliate stuff. Like, you know, like I think, uh, I, I don't know what his affiliation with the company on it is, but I know that when you buy something from on it through Rogan, and this has been like for years, um, he gets money for that or credit or whatever. Right. So, you know, so even before he was getting like millions and millions of downloads, he was still affiliating with companies and earning money through that, which, you know, it's just, it's, it's part of the language of this culture of influence. Rachel and I suck at this. That's, that's, <laughs> so do I. We're terrible. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. But sounds like even if we busted our butt, there's not really real money behind it. Or it's, no, it's you're an selling expensive your soul. hobby. This is, we're selling our soul. Yeah. Okay. In your, in your podcast, Your Body, Your Brand, you really highlight how women are dropping out of the workplace to sell face creams and lotions and beauty products and leggings and exercise products and all these promotions, right? Kind of in the name of feminism, kind of in the name of feeling like they are now independent consultants and they work for themselves. But the question is, are women truly liberated? Are we actually doing anything different or are we still falling? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a big question. Um, So I will do my best to sort of break it down and answer, but feel free to jump in and be like, okay, but, but so what? Um, (laughs) so the way that I see things is that it's not black and white. Um, and, uh, one of, one of the, uh, researchers who I interview in the podcast, Sarah Benet Weiser, who's like, I see is like, you know, she's one of the most important people in authenticity studies right now. Um, and, uh, so one of the things that she says in her book, authenticity is that she approaches this with an ambivalence. And I think she says it in the podcast too. And so I take that as my cue to be ambivalent as well, specifically because it's really easy on, especially on the internet and on like a podcast to be like, this is just unequivocally bad or like unequivocally good. And there is nothing outside of this black and white view of the world, right? So the way that I see it is the workforce in many ways is very toxic for people who identify as women entrepreneurship in the model in which it exists in our like wellness influencer, beauty influencer world is also incredibly toxic for people who identify as women. Turns out the whole system, it's, it's kind of bad. So I I just want to lay my ambivalence on the table because 
you know, I dropped out of the workforce. Um, I quit. I rage quit. I had a nervous breakdown. Um, and I, I had to freelance for a year because it was so bad. Um, at the same time, during that year, that nervous breakdown didn't just go away because I was suddenly a freelancer trying to like work on a podcast and make money doing this, right? Um, it involved like fears about not being able to afford health insurance, not being able to pay my individual, you know, 13% tax rate or whatever. Um, it involved fear that I wouldn't get more jobs. It involved fear of not having enough influence. Um, and so that also wasn't great for my mental or physical health. Um, so I'll just, I, I just, yeah, want to make sure that that's very clear that it is, it's not black and white. Um, that being said, I do think that wellness influence, beauty influence is it's sort of, it's created this sort of like mythical ideal of like what it could be. Um, and another one of the researchers I talk about, or I talk to in my podcast has a book called Not Getting Paid to Do What You Love, um, Brooke Aaron Duffy, which is specifically about this uh, idea that women drop out because they want to become influencers, but the work of being an influencer is largely unpaid. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of self-delusion that goes into, you know, you, you basically have to um, not believe in failure in order for this to work. And even then it might not. <laughs> and there's still this element of insecurity as far as how we are presenting ourselves in this line of work, because now I have to take the perfect picture with the perfect filter or present myself perfectly or have the right group of friends who will come over and sip wine in my backyard and buy my face creams. So there's still this, this mm -hmm. focus on me and how I look and how I present myself that still Absolutely. feels like it's sucked into all of this messaging. Yeah. So you, you touch on, on the, the sort of like individual, like me-ness of this sort of uh, like this self-focus. Um, <laughs> it's a big deal. I'm trying to write a paper about this right now. So my brain is okay. thinking through the, like, how do I talk about this? Okay. Um, so, you know, when we think about feminism, the way that we think about feminism online, right? It tends to be about like individual empowerment. And if I, who identifies as a cisgender female, um, am empowered, then feminism happened. That was a feminism, I did it, <laughs> right? Um, as opposed to thinking about how the actions in which, or, or the things in which I am participating, um, continue to systemically undercut the goals of feminism, right? So um, the, the idea that like me achieving some sort of beauty ideal and getting paid for it is doing the work of empowerment, whatever that even means anymore, um, while that might contribute to my own financial and maybe social capital, right? Like my bottom line goes up a tiny bit. That doesn't actually do the work of contributing to change. Um, it tends to be, it's, it's not narcissistic in the, in the uh, clinical sense, right? It's narcissistic in the sort of like colloquial sense, right? This intense focus on the self. Um, and it's encouraged by this sort of um, 
constantly vis like visible and visual influential culture um yeah. I'm having so many thoughts that I'm like, okay, how do I organize this? Because, well, I'm I'm feeling, <laughs> literally I'm having a reaction because it's like part of my profession and my passion is to teach, not to teach, to guide people how to truly accept themselves, right? And if that means that you are totally into this influencer because they sell the best makeup and you love doing your own makeup because it makes you feel good, it's part of your style, your funk, whatever, have at it, right? But yeah. if you are following these people to constantly be, to constantly change yourself because you never feel like you're enough, that's mm -hmm. the part of me that is angry about this, right? And now I need to <laughs> yes. point out my privileges. Like I am able-bodied. I am a cisgender white woman who has beauty privilege. Like I don't wear makeup and you can't necessarily tell. Like I don't, I don't feel like I have to do those things. It's also not part of my personality and I don't even know how to put on makeup, but that's a privilege, right? <laughs> like... And so for those yeah. that are sitting in the space with lack of those privileges, it, it that's the part that angers me of like people are manipulating others into thinking that you are never going to be good enough. So you have to constantly be changing yourself or seeking that change. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I think your anger is extremely valid. Um and I think that's partially like what a lot of um, influencer studies in the feminist space are focused on is this like, you know, one of the things that that upsets me, especially when you try to have a conversation about this um, with people who are engaging in these kinds of behaviors is that they say, well, I'm not being manipulated and I'm not manipulating other people. I am not explicitly engaging in the act of manipulation. I do it because I love it, right? You think about diets, right? When people, when people say it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle, right? They're not saying it, I think, largely because they are maliciously trying to manipulate people into believing something bad about themselves or into engaging in eating disordered behaviors, for example. Um, I really don't think that's the case. I think, you know, with the exception of maybe like Kim Kardashian, right, who I also don't know anything about her motivations other than money. So like, I really can't comment on it. Um, I think a lot of people really just believe that, you know, the, the influence that they consume and the influence they create are because it's something they do like or something that helps them or something that helps others. And so it becomes really difficult to have a conversation with somebody who doesn't see the mechanisms of influence happening um, or who denies the reality of them because it conflicts with their desire, um, which is a desire that is socially manufactured. Um, you know, how do you, how do you have that conversation? That's totally <laughs> what I'm hoping to figure out. I don't out. <laughs> think people realize how quick people get attached, right, to yep. them and their life. Like, I don't really go on social media personally that much. It's all for the job, right? But when I do go on, it's like I follow pretty much two people. That's the only two people where I'm looking <laughs> at their stories, okay? One is an individual that lives on a farm and basically just lives off the land. Two, it's like a zero-waste 
human and I'm like okay I just go on and love them and they'll post something I'm like oh maybe I should look into that and then I'm like no I will not right but like it's so easily latched Mm -hmm. in where I'm like I don't even Mm -hmm. know you and I'm like oh look at her look what she's posed what the hell is happening it's you get parasocial relationships I don't even know this person (laughs) she's my bff yeah no well, but so, I mean, that's a super, it's an important thing to point out. This is why in like micro influencers are so important to the ecosystem of influence, right? Obviously with celebrities, people develop these parasocial relationships with them. They feel like they have ownership of them. They feel like they're a part of their lives. Like, but with micro influencers, you are so much closer, Right. I will say, and again, when I say micro-influencer, I mean micro-influencer. Like I was, I had a following of people when I had my first podcast, Finding Our Hunger, who would reach out to me and be like, hey, how's Frida? My dog, who I mentioned on the podcast last week, she's fine, thanks, right? Because people, you know, they listen to your, and and I loved having those connections, but they feel like they they know know you. you. I know right now I'm spending way too much time listening to the Marketplace podcast, um, from American public media. And I feel like I know Kai Rizdahl and Molly Wood and I like spent way too much time in their lives. And I'll like tell my husband updates about Molly buying a new house. And he's like, Who's Molly? do you know her? I know. Yeah. And it's, it's very hard not to build those relationships <laughs> with people in a, in a multimedia environment where they're, especially with podcasts, I think, um, where they're in your, they're in your head. They're in your lives. They're they're shown to you as, you know, their updates are important. They're sitting with me while I'm sitting in traffic, cursing out the world, yeah. right? And I'm like, oh, well, yep. at least Molly's here, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, so my thought then goes, eek, I'm so scared about my two-year-old child, okay? And what life is going to be like when he's old enough to care about this crap, right? Like, so how do you... What do you recommend for parents to support themselves so that I don't even know. It's like, well, so this doesn't get passed on to their kids, but it's like, well, but it is going to be passed on. Our our children, if you have kids and you're listening, our children are going to be in it even deeper. Right. Oh, they already are. I mean, my little girl watches the little YouTube kids play and wants to buy whatever they're selling. It's already happening at five six years old your child is not that old that's scary yeah it's it's really hard I mean you know you think about I mean at least for you know I'm an elder millennial right like most of the the cartoons that I watched were just elaborate marketing ploys to get me to buy toys which hey they worked right so I don't think that especially with kids because they it's hard to have these conversations about like, well, you need to have media literacy. Like, I'm sorry, what? Turn on Sesame I know. Like, I, you know? Um, so, I, you know, it, I do think though that it starts with you having awareness and being able to articulate in a sort of like safe and consistent way, like asking, well, what makes you want to buy that, right? You know? Oh, did it make them happy? Why do you think it made them happy? What else could make you happy, right? Being able to ask questions and involve your children in decision-making so you're not lecturing them on like, you must have awareness about marketing, but rather being able to say, 
oh, what made you want to do that? Oh, you saw it on the TV show? What other things have you seen on a TV show? Right? And then saying, okay, well, could we maybe make something? Could we make up our own? Can we have our imagination? So that they start thinking outside of influence. I don't think we're fully going to get them off YouTube or, you know, get tweens away from TikTok or even me. I'm on TikTok (laughs) now. It's fine. Um, Oh, boy. But like, yeah. Um, But like, I think it starts with being able to interrogate your own biases, your own um, triggers, if you will, like purchasing triggers, um, and sort of say to yourself, okay, well, I saw this thing, right? I've decided I I really want to be like, go live on a farm and be zero waste, which, okay, so what makes me want to do that? Does it, is it because I'm going to have a perfect life? Like this person who posts pretty pictures, have I thought about composting and what's involved in that? Do I like worms? Um, You know, how much do I want to do the, you know, to do the laundry in a, you know, in a bucket because I have to reuse this towel when I know that my children are going to continue to make messes. So like being able to have those conversations with yourself first might then give you some insight into how to have those conversations with your children. I know that the, the impulse is to be like, okay, but I want the thing that's going to get them off YouTube. And I don't know if that's going to happen, right? Like the, or at least get them unhooked from the influence of these sorts of things. And I, I, until somebody pulls a plug on the internet, I think we're all kind of stuck. Totally. I think, yeah, I think you make a really good point of doing that self-reflection because really what we're buying into is will this up my currency in the society, you know? And so I think that is also the message that our children are being, are considering. Our children are wondering, like, will I, to your point, will I feel better? Will I feel happier? Will this be more fun for me? And so if we can do some of that self-reflection of who am I? What are my values? What do I want? So that I'm not tempted to be sold something that kind of bamboozles me into thinking this will make me happier so that I can have some of that own self-reflection and then have some of those conversations with the kids. I know it's, it's already happening around our dinner table even. My daughter will be like, well, these two girls on YouTube, well, so-and-so and so-and-so, and and my husband will be like, hold on, pause. Are these your friends at school or are these YouTube girls? Because I want you to talk about them differently if they're your actual friends at school Mm because you don't know them. That's great. So don't act like you do. (laughs) And and whatever they're selling, and so I try to tell them what they're selling you right now, they don't even realize they're selling it. They're playing with this toy. And I said, they're going to make money if you buy that, honey. If you press that button, they will make money. So they're pretending the toy is extra fun so that you buy it and that they will make money. And the kids are kind of like, oh. I'm like, I don't mean to like pop your bubbles here, children. <laughs> but we're not <laughs> buying that overpriced plastic toy. Okay? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and also thinking about, too, um, the social capital that comes from buying the toy because your friends also bought the toy. Right. So recognizing that, you know, especially when you're thinking about children there, I mean, let's be real. I'm still influenced by, you know, I see my friends doing something cool and exciting and getting a lot of likes for it. I want that too. So thinking about how like children um, and teenagers, right, will go, there's a ton of social pressure to not just do the things that make them happy, but do the things that they think will make their friends like them more or make them have friends in the first place. And so being able to negotiate that and and hold space for them as they struggle with that, because, um, you know, I know for me, I, you know, I showed up here in no makeup with short hair and, you know, in a collared shirt, just for your audience who may not 
you know, see a picture of me, right? But I spent the majority of my young adult life purchasing things that I thought would make me more feminine because I thought that would give me more social capital um, and it would make people think I was less of a dork, right? I, I was telling my husband the other day, I used to spend my lunch hour straightening my hair in the bathroom because I have curly hair and lived in Florida with the humidity. Wow. And so- You're like, I want those right, hours back. You know, and it- <laughs> Right, I'm like, yeah, please sit down and back. eat some lunch. <laughs> yeah, no, okay. Let's, right? Yeah. And so, and it's one of those things where it's like, but I did that not because it made me happy, but because I thought it would make people, other people who were prettier or who had that kind of hair or had the, you know, they had friends, so why don't I, right? And so um, being able to hold space for kids as they negotiate that, I think is really important because especially with how visual our culture is now, the pressure is going to be on showing the best version of yourself at all times. And that that's really hard. And I don't think that's possible. That that mm -mm. isn't achievable, right? Mm -mm. Totally. And, you know, I think about even like with TikTok, right, which I think in some ways is wonderful because it lets people show their like, they're sort of like uh, weird, ugly, you know, strange impulses. Um, but even that becomes a sort of social capital because if you are um, beautiful and you show up quote unquote ugly, right? You have that privilege of not needing to wear makeup and then you show up and do your transformation into something beautiful or you like you show up and you're like, oh, I'm eating pizza. That's a very different thing. You get, you know, millions of likes and then um, somebody who doesn't have that same kind of capital shows up and feels less than because they're not seen because they're not acknowledged, because they're not loved in the same way. So I think that even when people are being encouraged to kind of like show their less polished selves, um, it's still based around these, these ideas of like what kind of self is, you know, allowed to be shown, right. I suppose. And I think this is, this is slightly a tangent and I don't want to disclose too much for privacy, but like my niece is amazing and I contribute her amazingness to my brother and sister-in-law because from such a young age, they started these conversations and really opened up my niece's eyes to, well, here are some awkward versions of yourself or here's some lack of privileges or here's some marginalized identities that you already are identifying with. And here's how the world may treat you, but also at the same time, like, here's how awesome you truly are. And there's points where I'm like, how's it going? And she's like, yeah, I just sat at the lunch table by myself. And I was like, Did, do you care about that? And she's like, no, everyone else is so unhappy. <laughs> I just was on my phone reading. I had the best <laughs> time. I'm like, sweet, dude, that's all I care about, right? Like, there's such a strong sense of self, even with these these marginalized identities or these kind of life barriers against her. And to me, I'm like, heck, yeah. So what I take from that is it's time to open up these conversations. Whatever that looks like for your family, if you can best prep your kids and build that foundation so that when they are exposed to these influencers, when they're exposed to these imperfections that are just naturally a part of them, that they're able to hold that confidence or get support if they notice 
X, Y, and Z is being triggering or they don't feel awesome or they're being influenced in a way that doesn't make them happy, right? Like absolutely. if they're going, yeah. not eating lunch and straightening their hair, like, no, like, let's, let's talk about that because, <laughs> you know, that makes me sad. I don't want you doing something that doesn't make you happy, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And also being, you know, I, I, and I do want to also make sure that we, we extend this into masculine humans too, right? Because I think um, it's not just, uh, you know, I, the, the conversation always tends to be around women because, uh, you know, especially like, you know, cisgender girls tend to be a focus of like, well, they're, they're not beautiful. They're not empowered, you know, whatever, whatever. But I do think that boys, uh, cisgender boys get targeted by this. Um, obviously, uh, queer kids, uh, have a ton of issues that they have to deal with, but I'm thinking from like a privileged perspective, there's a lot of ways in which, um, boys are being influenced to act in certain ways, to want to follow certain ideals around body, around uh, presentation, around behavior. And so being really um, aware that these conversations can and should be had with your cisgender male children as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah, with everybody. Yeah. Thanks for bringing it to that because we definitely feel passionate about, you know, having it be inclusive. And we do tend to bring it back to the women for the sake of mom genes. But these conversations are for all identifying genders. Well, man, we could talk about this forever, and I'm sure our listeners will want to hear a little bit more. So where can they find you? Yeah, so um, <laughs> I'm on the internet, unfortunately. Um, you <laughs> the can world wide internet, <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, so the best way, if you want to actually connect with me and form a parasocial relationship, you can find me on Twitter. <laughs> um, I'm at Performing Woman, because uh, I am performing the active woman. Um, and uh, my website is kaiprince, K-A-I-P-R-I-N-S.com. Um, and if you want to listen to my podcast, I worked real hard on it. It's uh, your body, uh, sorry, it's bodybrandpod.com or your body, your brand. If you uh, search for me on any of your podcasting apps. Awesome. And it's fabulous. Please check it out. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on, chatting with us. This is an amazing conversation, so we appreciate. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is great. That is a wrap on this episode of the Mythbuster series, and we hope this information provides you with a more critical lens when you hear mainstream diet culture messaging. Please reach out to the person interviewed to connect with them in the ways they listed, or you can check out our social media pages at Mom Jeans the Podcast for details on the episode and to find our guests' information. And if you love the episode, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes and recommend this episode to a friend. Sending you the inner strength to accept your jeans with a G and wear the jeans with a J. Bye! This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LaBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast. And join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.